We really try to bring athletes in and the ones that are really serious and say we have to have a long-term approach and let's make this a very enjoyable lifestyle. We talk about how all the tools that we learn through the sport of triathlon, which is why I love it so much, how it carries over into every other part of our lives. The last year was my best year because that was I was after personal development. I wasn't off to race results anymore. I was after how could I be the best athlete and what did that look like? And then in turn, I saw myself becoming the best person and the best coach. And so we try to kind of hit that early on. Welcome to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'm your host, Dirk Friel. In each episode, we'll sit down with industry experts to discuss coaching methodologies, the latest research, and leading tools for endurance training. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources. My guest today is Natasha Vandermeerva, who is the founder and owner of NVDM Coaching in Austin, Texas. Natasha is originally from South Africa, and besides being a triathlon coach, she has a background as a professional athlete, both as a pro triathlete and as a pro tennis player and tennis coach. Natasha has built a unique coaching business catering to all abilities and has a special knack for helping athletes build a lifestyle around their sport. I hope you enjoy the show. Natasha, thanks so much for joining me today. I think the last time I spoke to you was on the island of Hawaii. That's right, at dinner. I, it's great to see you again, Dirk. Yeah, that was great to fi finally kind of meet you out there. And uh, you had a lot of... How many athletes did you have, by the way, in Hawaii racing? Uh, I feel like we had nine athletes, if I recall. Um, so we had an, a few yeah. of them on Thursday, but then most of them participated on the Saturday because we had a good majority of our guys in the 20 to 24 age group. Oh, wow. Young, fast, fast group there. Wow. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Natasha, you built a, a, a really strong business, got a great brand recognition, but where did this all come from? We, I, I, I get the sense of the uh, South African there and how'd you make your way from South Africa to Texas? Yeah, no, that's a question I get all the time, Dirk. Um, so, you know, grew up in South Africa, uh, grew up playing every single sport. And uh, finally uh, took to tennis when I was probably a teenager and I played on the junior world circuit as a tennis player and did really well. And after high school, oh. there was a decision to be made. Did I want to try to become a professional tennis player or did I want to take a collegiate scholarship year in the States? I took the path because I was at the time I was like 50th junior in the world. And I took the path of actually trying to go and hack it on the pro circuit and did so for two years, worked my way up. But, you know, after two years of traveling by myself and I was constantly getting injured, um, I started to look for something more. And I actually my, I grew up in a family of coaches. And so my older sister is a tennis coach. My dad was a hockey player and hockey coach. My mom coached all sorts of sports. And uh, I got an opportunity to coach tennis at the John Newcomb Tennis Academy here in New Braunfels, which is just outside of Austin, Texas. So what brought me here, everyone oh. thinks it's a college scholarship, but it was actually a coaching opportunity and it was coaching some of the top junior tennis players in the world and traveling around with them. And, uh, and then after that, I kind of find my way into Austin, Texas. I was uh, coaching at a country club after that and then found my way to triathlon. I actually dated someone who really loved the sport of triathlon and, and he went as far as to buy me my first bike and enter me in my first race oh. and, uh, 
just loved the sport and uh, started to see if I could switch my careers from a tennis coach and player to a triathlete. And um, within the first year of doing triathlon, I actually got my professional license. That was 13, 14 years ago. And I raced as a professional, you know, just trying to figure it out. I'd actually given up my full-time tennis coaching position. I started helping some local tri teams with um, track workouts. And they knew, they knew my background as a coach. And so they figured it would translate just essentially being able to um, communicate information to the athletes and get them excited about their workouts. So I immediately got into coaching. And because of my quick success, immediately had friends asking me, could I coach them and started uh, just coaching a couple of friends on the side, you know, they're Venmoing me like $25 and I would kind of Excel spreadsheet, a training plan to them. And uh, yeah, I mean, from there uh, I got picked up by a coaching company and I worked with them for a little while. And this was all while I was kind of building my professional uh, triathlon career. Uh, alongside that, my husband and I actually started a bike transport company. And so we, you know, needed the funds to go to, all these different races. And we would literally, uh, we had a 30 foot trailer and we would go bike shop to bike shop, picking up all the bikes for athletes doing that particular race. And I would drive this 30 foot trailer, race the Ironman, stand in the parking lot and everyone would drop off their bikes and drive back and do that multiple times a year. And so that was like the first five, six years of my professional triathlon career. Uh, finally stopped that because it was so much wear and tear and, and just got into to training and coaching uh, until I had an opportunity, funnily enough, to uh, work at this facility here in Austin with Brendan Hansen, who's the Olympic swimmer. They were starting a swim program and they wanted to kick off a triathlon program. And they brought me in to start the Austin Aquatics and Sports Academy facility. And it was there was an amazing pool. There was this amazing uh, indoor facility where we had 10 kickers and we had strength coaches, but I literally had to come in there and start something from scratch and figure out how to develop programming. And I, I always say that is what prepared me for what we have now today with NVDM coaching. And so I actually hung it up. I had my daughter and I retired for two years as a professional triathlete and just threw myself into coaching this program. Uh, and then uh, we actually all ended up working, walking away uh, because of the owners, et cetera. We're not going to get into that, but uh, stopped coaching at that facility and went back into uh, just had like 25 athletes racing as a pro again. Uh, and then I was doing talks for bike shops. There was a, a bike shop here in Texas that had seven stores and they brought me in. They were my sponsor. They brought me in to talk at all their bike shops uh, on topics to bring athletes in. And then also those athletes would then purchase things along the way. And so I had a lot of yeah. experience along the way with putting on camps, putting on talks, uh, coaching athletes. And then segue into today, uh, two years ago, I had the opportunity to work with Nick Bear, who's this online presence with this massive following. Uh, he wanted to train for Ironman Texas right before COVID. And he reached out to me and hired me to coach him. And they um, filmed everything on YouTube. And all of a sudden, I was this uh, kind of presence in, 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 as a coach. And we got a number of, of inquiries uh, for me to coach them just through social media. And I figured out I need to build a website. I need to build a company. Mm -hmm. And we called it NVDM Coaching because it was just me at the time. And it's my initials, Natasha Vanamova. And uh, that was the start of what we have now today. So feel free to oh, ask wow. me questions with, with more because I feel like I've been talking a while. <laughs> It's funny because it actually reminds me of some of the beginnings of my father and his coaching 
company. He actually had a running store and athletes would come in just asking for training programs and he, he tried to get rid of them. So the opposite of what you did. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll give you a program for $25. You're like, hopefully they don't come back again. And they kept coming back. And he's like, wow, this coaching thing might actually take off. But you actually were like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You, you saw it right away. Yeah. Um, so that, that's awesome. Brings back some cool memories on my side. Um, so what makes NVDM unique? You know, what are your, your services? offer and how are you unique um, in terms of a coaching business? Wow. Um, so I always, we actually just had a coach's call. We do a monthly coach's call. There are 13 coaches now. Um, and number one, the first unique thing is I only hire coaches that I have worked with, athletes that I've worked with. I kind of bring them in. I get to really know these athletes and identify the right person. And so, first of all, my team, I'm hiring the right person for the job, not the essentially the most educated person. We kind of have, through this two-year span, kind of built out exactly how we want to run things with the use of training peaks and kind of a manual in place and, and why we do things the, the way we do it. But um, I would say that's the number one thing uh, with our business model. Uh, what we give athletes uh, definitely is a very high-touch experience. You know, when I look at my experience as a athlete, what were the things that I felt I was missing from all my coaches? And what am I constantly hearing from other athletes that they were missing from their coaches? And a lot of it was feedback, you know, being someone that they could reach out to and get a response right away. Um, someone who cares and is fully invested in the athlete's um, uh, you know, process of becoming the best athlete or person they can be, whatever they're doing this training for. Um, attention to detail on, on we're providing form feedback, even though we're remote, they're sending us video whenever they can. We're giving uh, them every resource as far as what is the gear you need? What are the specifics of the course? I feel like the level of attention to detail is probably what sets us apart. And it's the standard of all, all our coaches above everything else is if you're going to coach with us, you have to respond to athletes within a day. If you see a workouts coming in and we encourage athletes to put notes in because we can look at the data and thankfully you essentially at training peaks essentially analyzes the data for us. We essentially just point it out to the athlete. Uh, but then we also want to know how did you feel? How did you feel? And so they're putting that in, we're giving them feedback right away. Um, and so that's that's a big part of what sets us apart. And then why? what is my programming based off of? Uh, a lot of it is based off my experience as a pro. You know, I had the ability to work with a lot of really great coaches over my career. And it was just for moments at a time where I was maybe in Australia getting ready for the um, Ironman Australia. And I worked with you know, um, Paul Newsom of Swim Smooth. And I was a part of his squad for two weeks and got to experience that. And so I take some of that and I put that into my training program here in Austin. And, you know, there's Jerry Rodriguez and Tara 26. I got an opportunity to work through his program. Um, Tim Floyd in Houston, same thing. And so I'm taking all these little things that I got to try experience. And one thing I sell my athletes too is every workout you're doing, every build to a race you're doing, I've done it before. I know not only what the physical cost is going to be, but the mental, emotional, but then also what the gains are that you're going to be feeling along the way. Um, so yeah. 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 That's a little and bit. Are, what's your breakdown in terms of like local versus remote? 
you know, great, clients? Yeah, athletes? great question. We are about one third local of all our athletes. So 30% are local. That's it. Correct. That's it. Yeah. And I see, you know, I, all your group training. So there's, sounds like you have regular workouts for the, for the group to attend. Yes, almost every single day. And I can walk you through a week. Um, so we partnered with Lifetime for pool space. And so they needed a master swim coach. And I said, well, we'll be that person because now we needed pool space. But can this also be where our athletes come in and swim? And so, you know, they all have to have a Lifetime membership. So that's a big benefit for Lifetime. And then they pay a small add-on for that essential pool space with me on deck or one of my coaches. And so Mondays we offer two swims at lifetime. Then a lot of the athletes um, go and do mobility and strength right after, because we actually program our strength training through train heroic. Um, and we have a strength okay. specifically for that. So that's Monday and a lot of them to do that together. Tuesday this morning, we were on Zwift. And so we utilize all these different platforms to bring our team together from all over the world. Uh, Wednesday, we're at a track workout. Thursday, someone's Zwift or do it on their own. Uh, Wednesday, we also do a lifetime swim in the afternoon. So they have that double. And then we're back in the pool on Friday at lifetime. And then Saturday, we have a couple group ride options, beginners, intermediates, advanced. And then we have a big group run on Sunday. Awesome. Well, you mentioned a couple apps there. And one of which we are, we actually own Train Heroic. That's our sister um partner or company that, that, uh, we, we own it here. So that's awesome. You have your athletes on train heroic as well. You know, I'd love to kind of start from the beginning when you bring on an athlete, what does that experience look like? What do you try and focus on? How do you, you know, what is the first meeting? Um, are you taking in startup forms? Are you meeting with them? What's that first week look like? You know, talk, talk to us more about bringing on new athletes. Great. Yeah. So the process is an athlete will reach out to us through our website or even through Instagram. We get a lot of leads from that. I take high pride in responding to them immediately. I think when an athlete is very excited to get going, I want to jump on that excitement. And so I would literally try to set up a Zoom call with that athlete right away. And we're getting so busy right. right now. I've actually hired someone else to help me on. I have two other coaches that if I'm too busy, they're helping me with that to do the exact same thing. And then we get on the call and the first thing we want to do is, is put it on them. We want to find out all about that athlete, what brought them to us, what is their background in the sport and what are their goals? What are they working towards? Um, after that, we really just open it up for questions. I don't like to kind of speak about something they probably know about us. And so I say, hey, what questions do you want to know about our programming? And for most people, they don't know everything we have to offer. And so I explain, how do you make the most of working with us? And so I say, hey, we use training pleaks as a platform. This is how you're going to get your workouts every day. You have it on an app, you get an email every single day, and then we're expecting you to load your data up, make sure your garments connected, heart rates connected, and then write in notes to communicate with us. And we're going to have a back and forth on every single session for you. Um, so we explain that. We explain that we have a strength coach and we're using Train Heroic and the benefits of using Train Heroic. Um, we explain, essentially, we have a list on our website of all the little things we offer. But again, a lot of the, the things the athletes uh, don't take advantage of. And so after that, typically the, the final response is, okay, uh, which coach do you want to work with? And it usually becomes a price thing because we have three levels of coaching. We have myself, which is at a higher price point based on my kind of demand and experience. And then we have senior coaches, 
who have moved up basically also based on their experience, but also their demand. They've shown that they've done a really good job and now they have one or two roster spots left. We move them up to that senior coach price point. And then we have all our assistant coaches that are coming in at a certain price point. And so at that point, they either pick a coach or I decipher based on our communication, hey, this would be a great fit for you. Uh, and I try to match personality um, as well as like, what are their goals? If there's something similar that I find. Uh, the next step is we send an onboarding email that's already been pre-written out with all the links to, here's a link to Training Peaks, here's a link to Train Heroic, um, here's our manual. So we have a manual with all the gear. If you're just getting started, this is what you need. If you really want to take this seriously and you want all the data, this is the kicker. Here's the link to the kicker. We use this, these equipment, uh, this equipment in the pool. So it's all there in front of them. And then it connects them to that coach. And then the next step is the coach. They set up a call and we use Calendly to just, you know, streamline that process. As soon as they do that call, they sign up on the website. And then uh, we actually have a, a pro program on the back end. It's called monday.com that we use. And it's basically we have four people on the back end that are tracking who's coming in, have they come in, and then we send off a welcome packet. We also want to acknowledge their welcoming on social media. So we have someone tracking that and like marking that off. Um, we have someone making sure all their data is correct in the system. And then a questionnaire. So you asked about a questionnaire. Yes, we have them fill out um, every, every detail about why are they coming to us? What are their expectations? So we have it on paper and the coaches have it on paper that they have to meet those expectations if they're going to work with this, with this athlete. So that's it. Wow. And if people are... You also have a Training Peaks University webinar, I think, posted on our, on our website about helping coaches grow their business. So there's more there if coaches want, and that's a free and available to all to take advantage of. So take a look at that as well. Um, also within onboarding, what about talking about intensity? You know, how do you describe if someone is coming from a world of ball sports and they now have this dream of finishing a triathlon? How do you even bring up, you know, the conversation or, or start to explain intensity levels and threshold and yeah. how do you, how do you go about bringing that into their vernacular? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. So first of all, when we are talking to athletes for the very first time and we're understanding where they're coming from, we then can then speak to like, Hey, this is our starting point. And we typically want to start an athlete with where they are and just build them into a weekly routine that they can sustain week over week. One of the biggest discussions we actually have, and I should have mentioned before, is we wanted to make training part of their lifestyle and something that can they can do year after year after year. And so uh, the reason you buy, a, you, you buy a coach, you invest in a coach and you have a coach is because we can manipulate the training program around you, your lifestyle and your goals versus just kind of applying into, you know, that's something that is set and standard. And then we're also there to move things around once we see that stuff doesn't fit. But, you know, the first thing is if someone is brand new to the sport, we just want to get them into a training routine that is typically just aerobic and let's just get the movements down, right? So in the swim, it might be just exposing them to the nomenclature of a, of a swim workout, um, but then also understanding, hey, is this person a beginner swimmer? And do we just really need to see video on them first before we can actually even create any workouts for them? So that's a, usually a starting point for a lot of people. If they are more experienced, we do start with like a testing week if they don't have numbers on themselves. And so we, I will talk about the testing protocol we put them through once we've put them into a regular weekly routine. 
that's um, where we start. And then we, we say, you know, the progression of training depends on each athlete. And so um, if you are brand new to the sport, for a lot of them, they just need to be comfortable with doing all three sports uh, consistently in a routine that's not going to burn them out. And so a lot of them, it looks like a lot of zone two training with the right form and technique in place um, that they can just build upon to get to the demands of the race. And that's the distances of the race. As they get more experience, the demands of the race are like, okay, what, what percentage of uh, FTP or an intensity can we actually race at? And, you know, you guys have created like the IF tool or, or have the IF tool of, you know, we know that an Ironman uh, you know, most of our age groups, age groupers are going to end up racing at 60 to 70% of their FTP for an Ironman. So as we kind of build mm -hmm. through the training, we know we want to get them comfortable with holding that kind of intensity for six hours that they're going to be out there. And then that's going to obviously scale for the more elite athlete and, and how long they're going to be out there as well. Um, so yeah, uh, outside of that, it kind of, uh, we answer their questions as we go, try to explain the nomenclature and the zone two training and the threshold workouts as we go. In our workouts, we actually write about it as well. So you will see the workout laid out, but at the bottom in the pre-activity comments that you guys have, we write the reason for this running, zone two running, or the reason for threshold workouts is right. to do this. And then continued education happens every Sunday. We have a team Zoom call every Sunday where our goal is to educate the athletes on what we're doing and why we're doing. So they have complete buy-in in the program and we get them to ask questions and we answer them. And then uh, we send it out on Zoom. Uh, we send it out on um, YouTube, like a, a, a timestamped YouTube after each call for those who can't get on. But we typically have 50 to 60 athletes on that call every week. Wow. That's awesome. How about like testing within, you know, swim, bike, run, what kind of like go to standard tests do you perform and maybe when in the life cycle of a, of a new athlete, do you actually perform them? Yes. So the first thing we want to do on each athlete is just get them in the routine of the week. So some athletes are not ready to test right away. So we just say, Hey, for the first yeah. few weeks, we're just going to get used to exercising and in this routine. Mm -hmm. Then after that, we say, okay, let's get a baseline on you. And so we have used various testing in the past. So we've used the CSS for the swim, the two, 200 and 400. But then we actually switched to a 100 and a 500. And for our most, more advanced athletes, a 100 and a 1,000 for the test. And that's just finding what their, their fastest you know, peak pace is going to be on the 100 versus what they can extend to in a thousand, which is essentially aligned with, you know, your, your th threshold swim speed, essentially the calculation of a 400, 200 should align with what you can hold for a thousand and, and sets the paces for a lot of your workouts. We moved away from the thousand because it was so overwhelming for so many. We don't want them to hate test week and a lot couldn't pace right. it correctly. So we just did a 500 and then we saw the differences between their peak pace and then their 500 pacing for the cycle testing. It depends on the level of athlete. For most, we actually just do a simple ramp test. And the reason we have them do that is because most don't understand how to pace, you know, critical power tests. And so, uh, and it's a much more uh, digestible. They don't fear it as much. That's a big part of me. I'm always thinking about the emotional and mental costs on everything we do with these athletes, as well as what the, the demand is. So, you know, if something requires tapering for and recovering for, we try to take that out and try to get the data close 
as much as possible by pushing through them a simple ramp test on the bike. And then on the run, the same thing. We stick to a 5K test because it's minimal cost. You can get in with minimal taper, minimal recovery. And, and from there, I tell the athletes uh, and the coaches, we're going to get close. But then after that, we're going to analyze the data of every single workout they do. And we're comparing, you know, power to heart rate to effort. And then we're going to kind of get closer, right? Right. Yeah. Training is testing, right? Yes, exactly. That's what we and tell them too. A lot of, yeah. And a lot of times training has less, uh, I guess, uh, emotion along with it when in, instead of saying, oh, we're going to test today, you know, you just make it a workout. And it happens to be a test. So yeah, awesome. What about a, uh, you know, season planning? You know, I'd love, you know, what's the breakdown between full, you know, Ironman distance athletes versus more beginner short course athletes, you know, that you work with and, and, yeah. you know, how would you like to see building out a season for both? It, great question. So uh, honestly, the majority of our athletes are, 70.3 and Ironman athletes. I think the reason is, is because mm -hmm. athletes realize they need to, in order to handle that volume and the preparation and the, for the demands of such a big day, they need guidance on it. They can't mess up, you know, especially as it pertains to even just the nutrition and the fueling, which we offer them. And so that's what drives most of our clientele. Now, uh, how we build towards the races, um, really depends on the athlete but i will say it's, it's very limited where we actually do a full annual training plan because most athletes come to us and they're like i have ironman texas on the books and that's all they're thinking about so we just work back from their goal race you know it's only like the more elite that they really kind of plan out their whole year and so for the majority of athletes we say okay we have this race 20 weeks out we know that's the end point we know pre to that we need to do race-specific training. And so we have to then make the decision based on the athlete is how long is that kind of block of training going to last. And so we can just say for an Ironman, you know, most of our Ironman-specific training where we're increasing the volume to meet the demands of a 112-mile bike, et cetera, and we are getting the athlete familiar with the pacing and the nutrition that they're going to have to take in at that pace typically is the final kind of 10 to 12 weeks of their training cycle. Now, everything preluding that is really dependent on the athlete and their needs. And so we definitely want to start and say, okay, we got to test you if we got no numbers. We typically then uh, base our next block of training based on what we find from the testing. You know, the other tests we do, we didn't even talk about it, is we do aerobic tests. We want to see what their aerobic capacity is on the, on the run and the bike. And so we do uh, what's a simple mafetone aerobic test uh, for the bike and the run. Um, we try to do 30 or 60 minutes and you're just staying under your max aerobic heart rate based on that number, just because it's a number you can pull from uh, and then yeah. dial in after the fact. And the same on the run, we have them run three to four miles, you know, at that heart rate. And we check their decoupling on that to see if we need more aerobic development. Yep. So we focus in on aerobic yep. development first. And then typically what we like to do and we found success at is we reverse periodize. So we go fast before we go far. And then the reason is when the volume is low, we have a better opportunity to increase our, you know, VO2, increase our FTP because our limitation is always going to be at what is that FTP? You're always going to, you know, race at a percentage of that. So if we can push that up while we are still fresh 
And while the volume of Ironman training is not in our legs, we're going to do that and then learn how to extend it at a percentage of, you know, our FTP from there. And so we're slowly getting longer and longer, but the intensity is coming down. Now, again, based on the athlete's needs and how much time we have, we'll determine how many blocks can we work through until we fall into Ironman or 70.3 prep training. And then I'll give you our secret for Ironman training. I think we're the only ones that do this. You can correct me. But I uh, learned this from a coach who used to separate uh, his long uh, runs. He only did a long run workout. It was a marathon coach. He only did a long run workout every other week, not every week. So, you know, in typical programs where they progress, week one, week two, week three, deload, week one, week two, week three, deload. We don't in the final few weeks. What we do with our training is the bike workout. If we have a very long specific Ironman bike workout, we don't have a long run that it's just too much load on the weekend for the athlete. We actually have a shorter run on that weekend. Um, and then the next weekend, we have a long specific run. And maybe there's like an hour at race pace going into the long run, but then it's a shorter bike. And so the load on the weekends right. never actually progress week after week. They actually are even all the way through. And it's allowed athletes to stay a lot fresher. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of talk around you mentioned, you know, aerobic conditioning, you know, do you kind of think in terms of like 80, 20 or how many intense days a week are you, are you programming in or is it unique to the individual? Like what kind of basic philosophy do you have around volume and, and intensity? Yeah. Great question. We are very uh, picky on our intensity because you can get so far with just aerobic conditioning, especially as it pertains to Ironman training. Um, and where we want to ask ourselves, where is the cost of the intensity that we're going to hit? Uh, and that's how we decide on how many kind of harder sessions we're going to do. And so uh, I would say we follow more of like an 80 to 85% of aerobic conditioning model. And what it typically looks like is on the run, we only really have one harder session per week because that is the, the biggest opportunity for injury. And so we are, and we really control the intensity on that, like big time. So our athletes do not get hurt. And um, it's typically Wednesday, middle of the week. And then uh, we get very specific as we get closer to the race, then yes, we get Ironman specific pacing into workouts off the bike. And then you're seeing two sessions per week where it's kind of, you know, maybe your tempo run, your, your uh, track workout, but then also your race specific work off the bike or in a long run. Uh, prior to that, it's just building volume and, and aerobic conditioning and durability for the distance. For the bike, because uh, you have less chance of getting injured, we actually go twice hard on the bike. And it's typically on Tuesday and within our long ride. Um, when the volume is shorter, we go harder. And then as we start to extend, then we dial in race-specific intensities working down to that. And so, uh, again, it's less costly. We're not going to get injured. But twice a week, we're going hard. A lot of our pros who are riding, they're on their bike frequently. I'm a big believer in frequency builds efficiency and, and you become better. And so they're riding, you know, six, seven days a week. And uh, two of those rides, of the six, seven rides, are hard. And then the swim, uh, I would say two of the swims per week are harder and again, you know, a lot of our elites here, they're swimming 20 to 25K a week, six times a week. Um, that's four swims, you know, focusing on strength, aerobic conditioning, form, and then two that we're, we're sending it. 
Yeah. You know, one of the biggest downfalls to newer Ironman 70.3 athletes is certainly pacing and especially so on the bike. You know, you'll see somebody at or above threshold in the first 20 minutes of some of these races um, and they completely suffer towards the back end. Now, my question is, how do you help them learn pacing? And if I assume if they're local, you can have a, a ride leader. But if 70% of your clientele are remote, you know, how, how might you go about teaching pacing um, without actually being there riding with them? Yeah, I mean, uh, through the data, you know. Um, so once we have the data on them, uh, we say, hey, you, because you're an athlete who's probably going to be out there for six hours, you know, your best range of power that you can sustain on this course um, is going to maybe be about 65 to 70%. And so we start, nearly all our athletes have bought into power. And, um, and so we actually okay. create their exact workouts out on training peaks for them to follow. And so they've done it so much in training where even though if they don't have power on their bikes outside, they've done enough workouts inside to know exactly what 65 to 70% is going to feel like. And we say you need to pay attention to not only effort, but then what is your aligning heart rate? And they always then go out and they race based on, they know exactly what their heart rate range and zone is. And of course, that's going to be dependent upon how long they're going to be out there. So, you know, if someone's out there all day, they might be in the middle of zone two just all day. But then we have our pros that are maybe, you know, low zone three. And again, they we've dialed that in in training based on multiple workouts that we've done based off of kind of the FTP marker for them. So, and then, um, yeah, I think that answers it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned most of your athletes come in with the goal already. It, you're not sitting there having to like work through goal setting with them because they, they're just coming in automatically. Like I registered for this race yeah, and I need your help. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, yeah, they get motivated by some outside influence and, uh, or maybe they've been racing for a while, but yeah, they, they come in and, uh, definitely the newer, age group athletes it's like hey i'm training for this race it's a bucket list item or my friends wrote me into it and i need help i need help preparation um the more advanced athletes uh you know we talk about not we don't actually hit goal setting as much as what are your limitations from becoming a pro what are your limitations from getting to kona and that's how we actually address goal setting for them um, and then we make little benchmarks along the way, and then we're constantly like tracking the data to make sure everything is aligning with checking off those limitations, right? So when do we come to you with that goal? Three months out, six months out? What's that, what's that look like? How many months do you have to work with them? Uh, it's dependent on the athlete. Um, I would say uh, we do have those athletes that come in about three to four months. Uh, and then we do have yeah. athletes that uh, start longer. So, you know, I had a number of athletes there. I'll, I'll speak to Lauren Hyde. I don't know why she popped in my mind, but she had Ironman Texas in April of last year. It was her first triathlon ever. She lives in Alaska and uh, comes from a powerlifting background. And she approached me, I think in October, and she was like, okay, I want to start this. I have a race. So, you know, we were working towards April. So that gave us, what, uh, five to six months, 
we worked towards that race and then she got hooked from that race. And then we said, okay, well, what's the next goal? What's the next goal? And then we just kind of set races as we went. Um, and she culminated with in her first year of se- uh, first year as a triathlete, uh, she won Waco 70.3 and she won uh, Ironman Arizona in her age group, uh, qualified to be a pro. Wow. And so this year she's racing as a pro. <laughs> But but really, at the start, was like, hey, I wow. want to do Ironman Texas as a bucket list, and we've had a number of those stories. Yeah. So if an athlete completes their goal race, and they might have the same goal again next year, so now we're twelve months away, how would you progress from finishing that season or that goal race into what's the next phase? What are how would you break down a focus? You know, it can be tough to be focused when when a race isn't, you know, another 10 or 12 months away. Correct. Yeah. And so we just went through that. Right. Um, So we had a lot of people finish in October, November. We then had to make Mm -hmm. the choice. Are we going to take a break? And the break is determined upon how much fatigue they've built up through the season, both mental and physical. And so for some, they just needed like a week or two. And for others, they needed kind of a whole month where they maybe took two weeks completely off, but then they needed two weeks just unstructured before really building up on the season. So again, that was really dependent on the person. Then when we come back, we try to just get them moving again. And so a lot of them spent about two weeks just getting back in routine of exercising is what I call it. And uh, just kind of building back that base and, and making sure the body again is durable for the work that's ahead. After that, we decided, again, we talked about limitations. What are, we, what are we missing here What from hitting our goals? And we had a lot of athletes that really wanted to become better cyclists. They see that it's the longest part of the sport, and we understand how much a good bike effort can also affect the run. And so they know that, you know, in order to get a better, become a better runner, well, if we can just become a better cyclist as well, you're stronger, the cost of the bike is less, and now you're off the bike 10 minutes earlier. So we had a lot of people that Mm -hmm. went into um, sports-specific blocks. They really, really enjoyed it, and they knew it was going to last for two to three weeks, and so they really got dug into that. Uh, And for some, we have enough time where we did like a bike-specific block, and then we shifted into a swim-specific block. And what we did is we gave them sessions where training was testing. You could see how the session built over time. Either we increased the power, we increased the volume, we reduced the rest. And so it was literally a do it, do it again, do it better, let's improve it. And they could see themselves get better through it. And that really motivated them. But we had to set those little short-term goals. And then for others, they signed up for run races in the off-season. And um, again, to keep them engaged and at least remind them of, like, what are they training for? And so we just had 3M Half Marathon, which is a local race here. And we had, like, 100 athletes, like, going and doing that race specifically. Kept them engaged as they kind of kept the other sports going prior to going now into tri-season. Yeah, that that's great when you have that time and you have a year or more and you can actually go into sport-specific time periods to build that confidence in each sport and actually make significant improvement in each sport, which can hopefully be maintained. Yeah. That's uh, that's definitely, yeah, really kind of a, a nice uh, way to do it for sure. Um, I'd love, I'd love to wrap up with uh, some of your biggest mistakes as a pro that you've brought into your coaching. So you make sure your athletes don't make the same mistakes. 
that's a great question. Um, the first one, and I think it's because I'm on the spot. Yeah, the first one, and I think I'm dealing that with that uh, with a couple athletes right now, is, is the nutrition. Right, we you know the everyone is so mm. focused on power to weight and. Uh, trying to get lean because they know and feel like, hey, I'm going to be faster. And so maybe they're not fueling their workouts correctly for that reason. And so that's the one big thing we address right away is, are you fueling your workouts correctly for performance, for recovery? And and it's just tied to burnout and, and injury. And so it's just, we highly value that. And, and sadly, I made that mistake in the beginning of my career. You know, I came in as this tennis player. And for me, I definitely felt out of place. I wasn't this lean athlete. And I struggled. I struggled with that in the beginning of my career. And I was able to come through that. And I feel like that's definitely a powerful tool that I have in uh, my pocket is to say, hey, this was what I did. These were the results, and that's probably why I didn't – actually, I know is why I didn't have the results I could have had because I was training without any fuel or, or just making these silly mistakes as it pertains to fueling. And I made these changes, and I felt like I could train all day, and I never got hurt, and I was performing to my capability. So that's number one. Um, number two, the emotional and mental side of training is, is so big, and that's something – that, you know, I always was looking at comparison of what are the other people doing, other athletes doing versus what am I doing? And that is something I see my athletes struggling with. Um, so we address that. Um, we also address um, just looking at this as a lifestyle versus putting the pressure on of like, I have to have it now. So we really try to bring athletes in and the ones that are really serious and say, we have to have a long term approach and let's make this a very enjoyable lifestyle and then through showing up and having fun day after day week after week like the results are going to take care of itself and then not looking at your at this process as improving as an athlete but improving as a person and so we talk about how all the tools that we learn through the sport of triathlon which is why i love it so much how it carries over into every other part of our lives and we we talk about that and so, uh, again, of mine, the last year was my best year because that was I was after personal development. I wasn't after race results anymore. I was after how could I be the best athlete and what did that look like? And then in turn, I saw myself becoming the best person and the best coach. And so we try to kind of hit that early on. Yeah, being in the moment, I think you know can sum it up in a lot of ways. You know, if you can enjoy being in the moment, you, you have this great kind of gift that you can have, you know, and also make yourself a better person for your family, business, et cetera. So, and, it, and it's, it's an evolution, you know, I find that as I got older as an athlete, it was, I, I got more time to train, right? Unfortunately, my, my daughter left the house. So, <laughs> you know, as she grew up and went off to college, I found more time to train. So it's an evolution. Um, a lot of great words of wisdom, Natasha. So cool. Uh, you're probably in everybody's face already in social media, but how can people follow you? Yeah, um, you know, social media and our website. So uh, our social media, we're most active on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, Natasha VDM 81 is me. And then our coaching company is NVDM Coaching. And then our website is just nvdmcoaching.com as well. Awesome. And be sure to check out Natasha's uh, Training Peaks University webinar that's free and available. If you're interested in growing a business, definitely a great webinar to check out. 
Um, again, thank you so much for spending time. Hopefully next time I see you, uh, might be in Hawaii or Nice or somewhere. Yeah. Are you going back to Hawaii this year? Uh, we haven't made the decision, but I've, yeah. I've, I've been probably 14 times. So, uh, I wouldn't mind going back again, Yeah, but it sounds like they're mixing things up. So I might yeah. have to go to France as well. I know uh, we have to decide. I think we'll probably go to Hawaii this year. And, uh, most of our guys are actually waiting for it to come back around to Kona, but, uh, that will definitely be in the future, something that we will do. So. Awesome. All right. We'll get some more poke over there. Yeah. Thanks, sounds Natasha. Great. Thanks, sir. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources.